Episode 214, Actually Operationalizing Innovation, with Katie McMillan from Duke University Health System and Royland Fernandez from DeLap Consulting. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Innovation is both an art and a science, but it's also a process. Not to set this up like it's some sort of newsflash, but there's never been a great idea that went anywhere without some sort of fairly decent implementation slash operational strategy. The problem is, despite the fact that we all know this, it's such a common mistake to let our common sense fly out the window when we become enraptured by our own genius thinking. And I say this as a survivor. I've been a party to more than a few great ideas failing tragically due to lack of respect paid to operational aspects. Lucky for us, there's people out there like Katie McMillan from Duke University Health System and Royland Fernandez from DeLap Consulting, who specialize in how to take a great idea and actually get it used by providers and patients. I met both at the Node Digital Medicine Conference in New York City. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Katie. Hi. Do you want to, for the record, state your name and where you're from? Sure. My name is Katie Donahue McMillan. I'm the Associate Director of the Mobile App Gateway at Duke Health, and we're based out of Durham, North Carolina. You gave a presentation yesterday at the conference here. Do you want to just talk about what you were talking about in brief? Sure. I was invited to present at the Best in Innovation panel, which was really exciting and quite an honor. And I just mentioned some of the things that we've done with the Mobile App Gateway, which we founded in October of 2017, so a little bit over a year ago. And that's our digital health hub at Duke Health. So um, we support different clinicians and researchers and entrepreneurs that are interested in either creating different apps for research purposes, texting, using connected devices in their clinical care, or as part of studies, using sensors, all kinds of things. It just runs the gamut. So basically what happens is you've got a clinician, you've got a researcher, you've got a physician, you've got somebody who wants to do something in some clinic at Duke. Mm -hmm. And you guys have a hotline? I mean, how does that work? How do they find us? <laughs> yeah. We have done a lot of networking around campus to let people know that we exist. We've worked a lot with other offices around. So if people go to the uh, entrepreneurship office, uh, they often say, oh, you should also talk to the mobile app gateway. Uh, we work with the IRB. We work with all of the clinical department chairs as well. So sometimes people find us through those channels. They send us an email directly. We also have a website, which is mag.mobile.duke.edu. And pretty much on every page, we have a button that people can click to request a consult with our team. It all goes into a shared inbox that we have access to and we kind of triage internally and we generally meet with people. We get a response back within 24 hours and usually meet with them within that week. And we figure out where they are in their scope of their project, what problems they're trying to solve and try to help right size the right solutions for them. And do most people come in with sort of a vague idea or like an ambition or do they already have a, some sort of form filled out? It is all over the place. There are some people that come in that are like, 
I just got this grant funding and I have this much money and I want to study this population and these are the outcomes I'm looking for and I just need to find the right development partner. I need help writing my IRB application. I need to figure out what the clinical workflows are. And we're like, okay, fine. We can help you do all those things. Other people just come in and they say, hey, I have an idea for an app. Like, okay, (laughs) tell me your idea. And then I try to pull out of them what they want to do with that idea, what their ultimate goals are. They're trying to study something? Are they trying to get patient report outcomes? Are they trying to do interventions? Are they trying to start a business? And then we can kind of tailor things from them from there. There's some people that are highly motivated and I kind of tell them what they're getting themselves into and they're like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And then other people are kind of like, wow, that's more expensive and time consuming than I thought it might be. Thank you for your time. And we don't hear from them again. It's the role of your hub to engage and educate Or do you also facilitate or is it kind of select signature projects that you want to facilitate and the rest of them, you kind of give some advice and maybe consult here or there, but it's largely up to them to complete it? We do it all. We don't project manage these projects for people. I say we more quarterback them for people. So if there are things like we have some pretty high value, high importance projects coming out of the Duke Cancer Institute that have champions at the highest level of the health system. They want to make sure these projects go off well. So we make sure that if there's lags in anything that we're following up with them, Um, we handle, you know, make sure all the contracts are in place, all the BAAs are in place, that they are liaising with the technical offices, making sure the software is going to work when it comes in, all that kind of stuff. So that's probably like that most high touch um, example of things. Other times, you know, there's teams, they have their own staff and they just kind of want to be pointed in the right direction and they kind of run off from that point. We do have set up some metrics for uh, following these different projects. So we keep a big database where I mentioned our consult requests come in. Our teams can put notes in related to those meetings. We can close them out. And then when we close them out, we have reasons for why we closed it. Is it, you know, they're not ready. They got the information that they needed. They're applying for a grant application. And then we can choose to say like follow up in six months, 12 months afterwards. Just kind of go from there to figure out what the right follow up plan is. And is that your success metric? You know, like what's your charge from Duke senior management? How, how will they, you know, a year from now or five years from now determine mm-hmm. whether the Innovation Center at Duke has been successful and to what degree? Yeah. So we really want to serve our community. And then we also want to put Duke in a place of leadership for digital health. So some of that is traditional academic measures of publications, grants that are coming in or grants that are getting funded. Those are harder sort of long-term metrics just because of the timelines related to those. We're also looking at the different partnerships that we can facilitate. And then also, I mentioned yesterday, a partnership that we have with a company called Zelf to actually work on this translational element of bringing things that may have been piloted at Duke or other places that seem to have been working and bring them actually into the clinical workflow. And, you know, the traditional numbers I hear are like seven to nine years to get from bench to bedside. We want to shorten that to like less than a year for these different digital therapeutic products. Wow. I will check back with you and see how (laughs) you managed to accomplish that. So just kind of last in summary, what are exactly, if you can talk about them, some of the signature projects, as you mentioned, that you're working on with oncology? Oh, sure. Yeah. So we have two big ones that I'm focused on right now. Um, One is uh, called the Viver Bridge app. Um, That was funded through an SBIR grant and Viver is the company and then Duke is the clinical partner with that. I think it's a really important project because uh, they're focused on financial toxicity, which the PI Yusuf Safar has kind of coined that term in the oncology world, but just basically talking about how expensive cancer care can be for patients, even with the best of insurance. 
And so what this app does is it pulls down some demographic data about that patient, what their insurance coverage is, what their diagnosis is, what medications they're taking, and then it matches them up within this big database that they've curated of various pharmaceutical companies, foundations, independent donors that would potentially be able to help out with offsetting those costs for people. So that is currently in a trial. I think they're about three quarters of the way with their enrollment. They're trying to enroll about 250 patients at Duke. Definitely one of the ones that we have in mind to roll out. And I think that since it is an SBIR grant, they're looking at potentially commercial value for that as well. So that's a really exciting project that we've been working on. And I think very impactful for patients. Like you can actually really see the return on investment for the patients. Um, we've had, you know, Dr. Zavar has talked about how he's gotten emails from patients saying that, like, they have to move out of their homes because of, like, paying for their cancer care. So hopefully some of this stuff will improve the quality of life for these patients that are already going through a lot. Great. And is there any more? Yeah. Another one we're working on is called the D-Scan app. Duke offers a lot of different supportive care services, which I'm sure a lot of other cancer institutes do as well. I think there's like 30 different things that they offer from yoga classes to counseling to wigs and family services. And they're just pretty underutilized. People don't know about them or maybe they get one pamphlet about them at their first visit and then they forget about things. Um, So we've sort of rolled this into a way to collect some patient reported outcomes to see how they're doing kind of call it the softer side of cancer care, just not looking at the clinical indications. And it's set up in a way that feels really conversational. It's like they're texting with somebody within the app. And then based upon how they respond to the questions, they get surfaced information about these different services and then how to make appointments with them. And they can do all of that stuff within the app. So that one is also being studied. But by the end of 2019, we're hoping for that to be rolled out to all of our oncology patients as well. I thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Roy. Thank you. Do you want to, for our listening audience, state your name and your title and who you work for and what you do? Sure, absolutely. So my name is Roy Fernandez. I'm a Beyond Technology Management Architect for the Delap Consulting Firm. And what we do is we work with organizations to help transform operations by integrating technology. And we work within hospital systems, provider groups, and partner with our vendors. When we're talking about operationalizing technology, what does that mean? And maybe you can give an example to add some color to this of what not operationalizing technology looks like. Worst case. <laughs> Worst case. Sorry. Great. So I think it's such a broad you know, phrase, operationalizing technology. And so when I think of like the worst case scenario, so I'm a clinician by background, I'm an emergency room nurse. And in my experience, you know, that partnership that happens between operations, you know, whether it's providers, nursing, and IT tends to be more of a a done-to feel. So, you know, there's some great technology that folks find and they're like, oh, great, you know, this is what we hear our operations folks, you know, complaining about or we see it in tickets that are submitted to us or in forums. And, you know, someone goes out and finds this great innovative technology and it somehow finds its way at the bedside. But there hasn't necessarily been any communication or dialogue from a workflow perspective or an operational perspective as to whether or not this addresses it. So that's that's probably the worst that I've seen it where there's some new item that comes in and they're like, oh, this is supposed to help you with your blood sugar machines. And it's like, great. So what do we do with that? How is this helping us? It's, there's really not a clear communication. And so when it comes to operationalizing, you know, technology, it's more of a transformative journey. I think we're hearing a lot about that particular term in this uh, conference. 
But really, the engagement piece of integrating this technology, really trying to understand what it is from that workflow perspective and that at the bedside perspective that folks are really looking for, that they find really are the disruptive factors that can either hinder patient delivery or the, the care delivery dance, rather, and being able to safely and effectively do their work, which then can escalate up towards, you know, meeting targets and, you know, even from a revenue cycle standpoint. So really uh, gaining that awareness. So what it sounds like is that leadership might, let's just say, for example, believe that they have heard and understood an issue. Exactly like you said, they send out a survey, they, and right. they have, they've gathered data somewhere, got some data and they quantify it and, and someone draws a unique insight that nurses are having trouble with X, Y, and Z. Right. So they make that assumption and then they go out in the silo. And they find a solution and then they present it like a Christmas gift. Right. Um, <laughs> and, That's a great way to put it. And perhaps, you know, just because you do a survey and you've got an N of right. whatever, that may or may not be a problem that, say, everybody on the right. floor recognizes as a problem. It could just be a couple of people. Right. Exactly. And or rather, it's it may not necessarily be the focus of what the issue might be. It may more along, be along the lines of. You know, like with that blood sugar machine, it maybe maybe there's you know there's there was an update that occurred to the software that needs to be communicated out to the staff or educated out to the staff. And you know, and education is always really tricky too with technology because that tends to be kind of like the target like measure of great. We're gonna you know if we want to get this in, we need to educate everyone. Well, yes, we do, but in order to understand that education and that delivery, it would be helpful to really have that dialogue and conversation and really see what it is that they're struggling with. Because it may be missteps. It may be there might be a, a process or a, a button that needs to get pushed in this process that's not as apparent. So it's more of a user interface versus actually a, a clinician not understanding what it is that can be done. I mean, healthcare is so diverse, you know, when you've got different users who have varying experience with technology and folks tend to fall down to, oh, they just don't know how to use it. It's like, well, you'd be surprised. There's some really technically savvy folks out there in the units, in their departments, in their clinics that can just get, you know, a little confused just because it's, it may not be as evident. Yeah. Or maybe they've got a million things to do. Right. And if you've got to go over here and get that and then go over there and press yes. that button and then go over here, I, you know, even if they do understand it, it might not happen. No, absolutely. It doesn't align with their workflow and it causes more of a delay versus actually those efficiencies that we're hoping to gain with technology. Okay. So if somebody does a survey, now let's try to fix this problem that we've got <laughs> this chaos which we have unleashed while we're trying to solve a problem. It's like, exactly. you know, they, they always say you solve one problem and create like four yes. other ones. So it sounds like the surveys and the data, the right way to do it would be to look at it in order to infer some potential insights and then actually go and do some focus groups or actually go right. and talk to people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's there's a lot to be said about being able to observe a process and it's kind of like, you know, observing the wild in its natural habitat. <laughs> I know that's not a great analogy, but I think of it as... It's, it's a way to be able to see those unspoken process behaviors that folks essentially do. So when you ask someone about their process of how do you make coffee in the morning, you know, they can kind of tell you like the generals of it. But when you actually physically watch them and see the way they either set their cup, how they're very particular about what it is that they choose, you know, 
that they may have a certain way of doing that, of uh, actually creating their coffee or making their coffee. Those are things that you can gain insight on to be able to target and see, oh, well, you know, I noticed that, you know, when you made your coffee, you selected, you know, the dark rose versus the light rose. Why was that? And it's like, oh, well, just because it's always there. It's the first thing I see. And so I just pick it up versus actually being a conscious choice. And so I think of healthcare in that sense. So you take the path of least resistance, unfortunately. And and it's not that folks uh, want to do that. It's just that once you've learned it a certain way, it becomes a process that you've learned. A little bit of a, a tangent, but something that I learned when I was implementing EHRs with the big Northern California healthcare system was we could take a look at our hospitals. And this was a 21 hospital system in Northern Cal. And you could see where in the timeline of when we implemented their hospital, they were just because workflows seem to have a very static type of growth, if you will. So as we implemented and as we've, you know, grown and enhanced and created, you know, efficiencies within that EHR, those efficiencies didn't necessarily make their way out towards the masses, towards the staff, even with communication and integrating their informatics directors and educators. It's, it still didn't make its way there. And so for me, just going back and taking that as a lesson learned where we could do our very best and trying to address either what the, the issues or the gaps may be, but without really trying to bring and merge that to the, to the front lines, I feel that we, it's still a disservice. We, we don't really exercise the true potential of what this technology can do for us as clinicians or as hospital operations or or clinics and providers. Yeah, I feel like what you're saying there is something that everyone has experienced <laughs> that, you know, senior leadership is very excited about a new solution and it's going to solve a lot of problems and and senior leadership fully understands the revenue cycle management right. or whatever it is that is is going on because it's bubbling up even to that level. Right. And then it's obviously incredibly frustrating because someone is thinking that this is going to be a solution and everyone should embrace it and it's going to be right. so much easier and better for everybody. And then everyone's like, no, <laughs> or not everyone, happens. but it's, but you, you have the reaction from, you know, your front line, which then escalates up and they're like, no one's using this technology. And it's like, and that's actually something. So I was just sitting in a session and there was a question that was asked by a health system, IT technology integrator. Right. And <laughs> she said, she said, look, the hardest part of technology implementations isn't buying the solution. Mm -hmm. And it's not even necessarily finding the IT time to get it built. Right. She said the hardest part is helping people on the front line integrate the thing into their workflow. Right. The engagement piece and basically assimilating it into what you would hope would be something sustainable. And that's I'd have to absolutely agree to that just in an emergency department there'll be technology that's introduced or or some tool. And before you know it, within a month, it's in a drawer somewhere and folks have forgotten about it, which is unfortunate because it's a waste of money and there's possible waste of opportunity there. But because of the fact that, you know, either that engagement piece didn't happen or some learnings in terms of workflows and really just trying to get a sense and grasp of what it is the staff is really looking for, you know, kind of like hearing them out. It's a you hear about buy-in being a really big thing. And it's like, well, yes, buy-in is, but then it's really the full force behind that buy-in, really trying to move towards scaling this 
in a way that now staff look at it as more of, yes, it's a change, but it's a change that's giving me the benefit of this, whether it's efficiency, time, safety, you know, what, whatever those points are that kind of feeds their soul as to why they're showing up every day. So how do you attain that buy-in? What do you do? Like hypnotize them? <laughs> Would be easier. Yeah, probably. <laughs> no, I, you know, a lot of it is leadership alignment and then also understanding whether or not from a cultural standpoint and that organization or that department or area is ready for this type of change. I mean, you know, you there's a lot of focus on the, those very formal leaders, but also identifying your informal leaders. They really can move a project through an area and with incredible speed and influence. So basically, Sheila. Yeah. <laughs> Sheila, the unit assistant or the secretary. And if she's really into it, right. then just informally, yes. it's like Seth Godin with his tribe, right? <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like exactly. you get somebody talking about it and actually using it and kind of verbally almost, it's like right. a product referral. Exactly. Or saying, you know, yeah, you know, this is something different, but, you know, but look what I can do with this. I can see all of you know, the patients that we need to check in for the day or, you know, whether what it is that they found in their workflow that feeds their need, you know, uh, feeds a gap that they're looking for. So trying to find, you know, those pearls that you can kind of share and be able to to integrate in that messaging, um, I think helps. And, and like I said, those informal leaders, they do hold quite a bit of influence to really be able to help direct and determine kind of the scale or direction this could go. So you would vis-a-vis some means, identify who those leaders right. are. And then would it be a best practice to actually have like a working group or something that includes mm -hmm. those individuals right. where you're actually helping create the process with those individuals? Is that the idea? Yes. So the whole do with versus do to. <laughs> so yes, absolutely. Creating more of that, whether it's a governance or a committee, and, and those are always tricky words within most systems, just because it's like, okay, more time spent in not necessarily a bubble, but more like, you know, away from the bedside. And, you know, definitely having that presence. I think, you know, when folks recognize and see that you're out there, you're really trying to make that effort to, to understand what it is that they struggle with and how they struggle with it, I think kind of will lend weight to what it is that the partnership that you're creating with those groups. Okay. So the first thing that you do <laughs> is you gain some insights right. and then you work with this working group. Right. And you also, as part of that, observe in the wild yep. what is actually going on, which, you right. know, and I think that's very understandable that if you ask someone, okay, detail your process, right. they're going to forget stuff. Right. Especially things that they do all the time. Right. And stuff that they do that's kind of, that's like automatic, you know, it's, it's stuff that inherently that's part of their process, but they don't ever call it out because it's maybe bundled within an overarching process. So... Well, and the other thing, too, is that and I think depending on maybe the type of person that you're talking to right. and their left brain, right brain, <laughs> type A, type B, you right. know, like bent, sometimes processes get so ingrained that people confuse this is a process we can change yes. with this is the way that it is. So it could be an arduous process, but it's always been that way. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. It's always funny when you get someone who right. seems to be most affected by the inefficiency telling you that, <laughs> well, this is the way that we do it around yeah. here. This is the way we've always done it. We've done it this way for five years. Why do we need to change it? Everything gets done the way we've done it before. Right. Absolutely. And 
But it's, but I think that's, that's the piece of being able to have, you know, it's gathering evidence and looking at what it is that they're doing and just say, you know, I realize that, you know, you go to this one screen and you enter in all this information. However, but did you realize within, you know, the, the screen ahead of that, you actually have all that same information that's there that you could enter it in. So it's, you know, some of it's education, but some of it's also just trying to, trying to redirect them in a way that helps them see where those efficiencies are. I think um, for a lot of folks, it's like, oh, yeah, you should just do it this way. And it, it becomes this conversation in either a room or during a meeting versus when you actually sit there and, and demonstrate to them like, hey, you know, if, you know, you're walking into a patient's room or you're walking into the exam room and, and here's how this technology or here's how this upgrade and enhancement will impact your workflow, I think is a bit more impactful and we're in a business of humans we make errors like anyone else and without intending, but you know, it's, it takes, it takes a bit of time and some of that cultivation and folks have to be in the space of willing to change. And, you know, sometimes they need that motivation to understand what that change is and without really taking the time to craft that message. And even like I said, you know, use, utilizing your formal and informal leaders, that can really be a hindrance to, to what it is you're trying to implement or even if it is a great technology, that's, that's the tough part. Yeah. And I can definitely speak from personal experience when I say that oftentimes people forget about the exactly like you just said, what's right. the messaging? What's right. the how exactly are you gonna in a way go to market? Right. <laughs> you know, like this is in certain ways, although it's internal, it's a product launch. Right. And nobody would ever make a product launch without somebody figuring out <laughs> what the tagline is that's going to be on the bottom of the ad. Exactly. So it's kind of funny that we expect to move masses internally. <gasps> right. Just by moving them without really considering the message we're crafting. It's the, that engagement piece of it. It's, it's, in my mind, it's so critical because, you know, when, when you first hear about like in a huddle or in a staff meeting or in a big forum, you know, that messaging crafting can influence whether or not you're going to be like, yeah, huh, it's flavor of the month. Here we go. Let's see how long this lasts. There's a reason why some products are very successful and other products, which seem to be just as good or better are, are, are certainly not. Yes, absolutely. So what's the worst advice that you hear perpetuated? What do you walk into a, a new client's office and they are, someone has told them something and you're like, eh, well, let's undo that. I think probably one of the more challenging advices or messages I think I've heard when it's come to technology and healthcare has been our technology can integrate in any workflow. I think that's always been the, the trickier messages that I've heard regarding technology. And the reason why is we're all incredibly unique. I mean, we have some pretty common definitions, whether it's targets and, you know, like the way you admit a patient, the way you check in a patient will hit the same components within a workflow or the items you do. But the way you do it could be varied based on physical plant, based on staffing and that those pieces. So I'm always wary of technologies that tout that they can exist everywhere and anywhere just because I think for some folks or, or for what I've seen is there's usually a bit more work that comes to integrating that versus just saying, hey, we can just put this right in there and it's going to work. It's going to work the way it needs to. Mm -hmm. It's I, I haven't seen technology that clear cut, at least not from where I've come from. <laughs> well, it's the whole, you know, if you build it, they may or may not come. Yeah. <laughs> and usually they don't. So if people are interested in learning more about Delap Consulting, where could they go to find the info? Uh, they could definitely visit our website, www.delapconsulting.com. We have the information regarding a bit of the work that we do, and they could also email our team through there as well.
Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Beyond this episode, if you're looking for more insight into what it takes to get innovation off the ground in the healthcare industry, I'd be remiss if I didn't remind you of my two interviews with Roy Rosen, Chief Innovation Officer over at U of Pennsylvania Medical Center. We have an Ask an Expert, AAE number three, where he lays down his healthcare innovation reading list. And also episode 139, 139, where he talks how to lead innovation at a health system. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.